0: Good morning. Um, the scripture this morning is from John 11, verses 1 through 6, 17 through 28, and 32 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it said, "'This illness does not lead to death. "'It is for the glory of God, "'so that the sons of God may be glorified through it.'" Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Father, we are grateful for the gift of your word. Thank you that it's true, that it's given in love to us and for us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to receive it, to take it in, help us to see Jesus. We ask in his name, amen. So being human is a glorious thing. I'd rather be a human being than like, I don't know, a badger (laughs) or a rock. It's good to be a human. It's also really hard, isn't it, to be a human? You know, today we're looking at uh, we're looking at the last of Jesus' miracles in the Gospel of John, uh, that, you know, until his death and resurrection. And and here we're we're being invited, I think, by Jesus to bring to him some of the hardest things that we wrestle with as humans: our suffering and our death. And, and all of the sorrow and confusion and perplexity that's wrapped up in that. And, and so we're invited to face Jesus in the face of our suffering and death. You know, um, all of you have suffered. I think that's safe to say. All of you have suffered. And, and all of us are going to die. You know, those are like inevitable parts of the human experience, suffering and death. What's not inevitable is that we would face Jesus in the face of our suffering and death. But that's the invitation of this passage, to face Jesus in the face of suffering and death and to do, to do that facing Jesus in, in a posture of, um, of honesty and of faith and hope. So let's look at this. First, there's an invitation here to face Jesus in honesty. You know, often when people are confronted with these hard realities of suffering and death, we make one of two moves. First, sometimes suffering and death become reasons for us to disengage with God. Because so often suffering and death are accompanied by um, deep fears and hurts and feelings of hopelessness. And we treat these negative emotions as obstacles to our relationship with God. We don't pray because we don't feel like we can really go to God when we have a storm raging in our heart. So What do we do? We, we disengage. We see doubt and anger and bitterness and hopelessness as a barrier standing between us. In God. And so we don't engage with God at all. That's one option that we often take. And another option, another move we sometimes make is to engage with God, but to do it in an artificial way. Like as if there are all of these protocols and hoops to jump through. We think that if maybe we, we make the approach just right, we'll be able to bring our suffering to an end. We'll be able to get from God the response we want if we follow the right steps, if we embrace the right method, And so we approach God, but we don't dare approach God honestly. Um, We don't dare to let him know what we really feel and think. We approach him acting like we think he wants us to act, instead of acting as we really are. Notice in our story that Jesus gives freedom and space for these sisters to seek him and to seek help and to ask questions and to lament, and to cry, and to grieve, and Jesus just doesn't put any expectations on them at all about how they ought to approach him. And so first, we see that Martha and Mary are free to come to Jesus with their deep need, and they do it in such a simple way. Verse three, so the sisters went to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. would be a, a, we could do a, a whole a whole other sermon on just that verse. He whom ye love is ill. It's like Jesus loves people and they still get sick. But um, I mean, their approach is so simple. They're just making the need known. They're just drawing Jesus' attention to the need, and then what happens? Jesus waits. He waits. Uh, he hears about this emergency in the family. He really loves this family. And so he stays right where he is and he doesn't move an inch. Which is really confusing and troubling, isn't it? I mean, kind of like suffering and death are confusing and troubling. Jesus waits and this creates tension and it creates questions and it creates hurt For the sisters because Lazarus dies. Now it's very possible that Lazarus had already died by the time Jesus gets word from the sisters that he's sick. But in any case, he dies. And so Martha and Mary are also free to come to Jesus now with their hurt from this deep place of pain. They each come to Jesus with a complaint, with a lament. They say, Lord if you had been here, my brother Uh, would not have died. And so Martha is able to do this first. Um, It looks like, uh uh-oh, my notes are glitching out. Um, It it looks like she's able to do it first. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Um, Initially, it looks like Mary is so upset that she's not even able to approach Jesus at all and she just sits there she doesn't even want to see him Um, but eventually she goes to Jesus with the exact with the exact same lament and and I imagine in in this um, comment that they both make that we're just kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg of their pain it's like Lord if only you had been here Lord where were you Lord why weren't you here it's like, these are, these are anguished questions of lament. And, and you see, family, Jesus welcomes them. He welcomes them. Um, there is freedom for Mary and Martha to approach Jesus honestly. Like, they're negative emotions, and they do have, they're filled with negative emotions, but these aren't barriers for them uh, in their approach to Jesus. They're, they're not obstacles. They actually become occasions for engaging with God. You know, the Bible is full of examples of God's people um, taking their, their anguish, their hurt, their negative emotions, and, and taking them straight to God. And so, um, just some examples. I think of Job. He, this is what Job says. God has wronged me. He has drawn his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I cry for help, there is no justice. The prophet Jeremiah says this, Why is my pain unending and my wounds incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you, God, be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? You can think of the psalmist crying out in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? You can think of the psalmist crying out like, I'm thirsty for you, but my experience is of being in this dry desert where there is no water. I wonder, family, have you dared to be that honest with God? Do you know how to let your negative emotions lead you not away from Him, but to Him in prayer? That doesn't come naturally to me at all. (laughs) Um, I usually... I usually try to ignore my negative emotions. And I've gotten pretty good at like stuffing them way down deep inside so that they kind of just like leak out here and there, usually around my kids or Libby. It's super healthy. Um, uh, but I'm learning. I'm learning to give expression to those and to give expression to those um, toward God, engaged with God in prayer. Um, you see, it's not it's not really a Christian response to ignore suffering and death, nor is it a Christian response to say in the face of suffering, like, you know, to kind of shrug our shoulders and to say, oh, well, God must have a plan in this. Um, no, the Christian approach is to affirm that like, this is not the way it's supposed to be, and, and to let it trouble us, to to feel angry and sad and confused, and to express rage and frustration and disbelief, and even incomprehension sometimes at just the the sheer brokenness of the world. And, and so Martha and Mary go to Jesus, uh, as they really are, with all of their pain and grief and sadness, and with all of their anger and anguish, and they say, Lord, if you had been here, we would still have a brother. Do You see the invitation? Um, the God we know in Jesus Christ is not a God who needs us to jump through hoops in our approach to Him. He doesn't need polite, tidy, well-articulated, coherent prayers. Uh, he's a God we can approach just as we are. He's a God who accepts lament and complaint and complaint just as much as He accepts praise and thanksgiving. He's as ready to hear about our hurts as he is to hear about our happiness. I wonder if you believe that. There's this invitation here to just face Jesus uh, in the face of suffering and death and to do it honestly. (laughs) We don't have to pray what we think God wants to hear. We're free to just bring our real selves before God. Okay, so... There's an invitation to a posture of honesty, also to a posture of faith, to face Jesus in the face of suffering and death um, with, like, this deep trust. Um, and to do that even when we don't have all the answers to the questions that are swirling around in our minds and hearts, maybe precisely when we don't have all the answers to the questions, which is not easy, right? Because usually what we really want in the face of suffering and death is an explanation. We want an explanation. We want to know why. We want, we want some way of making suffering intelligible. We want, we want it to make sense. And so what religious people often do is they try to explain suffering by saying that um, the person suffering must have done something. They must have done something to bring that suffering on. And so uh, if you were here last week, we saw an example of this when Oldson walked us through John chapter 9. So there's that man who is, uh, you know, has been blind from birth. And what do the religious people want to know? What did he do? Like who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? But there's got to be some way of making sense of this blindness. Um, it's really a way of trying to defend God getting God off the hook for suffering, we say, well, it's not God's fault, it's yours. It's your, it's your fault, or it's our fault. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Well, we, we usually never say it's my fault, but we say, it's probably your fault. Um, secular people take another approach. They just say that a world full of suffering is incompatible with a God who is really powerful and really good, so they reject God. And, That certainly gets God off the hook for suffering and death because it just gets God out of the picture entirely. And our story is inviting us to uh, an altogether different approach. It invites us to stay engaged with God, to stay with God, to trust God, even when maybe none of our questions are answered. looks like Martha moves to this place of trust more quickly than Mary does. Look again at verses 22 through 27. Martha expresses her confidence that God will do whatever Jesus asks, and then Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again, and Martha says, well, yeah, I know that he'll rise again eventually, one day at the end, and in the resurrection on the last day, and then Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's an extraordinary thing to say to someone whose brother has just died. He's saying, like, Martha, I'm not talking about some resurrection way off in the future. I'm talking about right here, right now. He's saying... Right here and right now, you are in the presence of the one who is the resurrection and the life. You're with one whose power is stronger than suffering and whose love is deeper than death. And then Jesus invites her to trust him. Um, He says, do you believe this? You trust this? Now, to be clear, the invitation is not merely to believe correct things about Jesus. He's not giving her like some theological statement to affirm about the reality of the resurrection. He, he's inviting her to take the full weight of her life, and uh, and at the moment, like, her life is so full, full of confusion and anger and pain and sorrow, and he's inviting her to take all of that and to, like, lean it onto him, to, like, somehow relationally trust him with that, to surrender it to him, to, to trust Jesus with all of it. And so, notice how she responds. I, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think it might be significant. He, Jesus, had asked, "Do you believe this?" And she responds, "Yes, Lord, I believe you." See that? I mean, she's she's not talking about a theological idea. She's saying, "I trust you." And and family, that question is a question that Jesus asks. All of us. I mean, I think that Jesus asks that question to each one of us um, individually, personally. With all of the suffering that you face and with the death that you face, can you face me and will you trust me? I wonder where you feel the force of that question in your life. I wonder if there are, um, I don't know, because I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I I just, I wonder what God might want you to surrender to him in faith. Say, This is a question that you're not going to have answered, but there's an invitation for you to trust even though it's not answered. And so can you bring your questions to Jesus and then can you just practice trusting him even when you don't have the answer? So that's the second thing. That's the second invitation I'm seeing in this passage that when we face suffering and death, we're invited to face Jesus and to trust him. To trust him. Not to believe all the right things, but to trust this one who is the resurrection and the life. And then finally, we're invited to face Jesus in hope. And this invitation, I think, comes in these two really powerful ways that God addresses suffering in this story. First, um, as Jesus, God shares our suffering. shares our suffering. Twice John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved, and he also tells us that Jesus wept. And and so I don't know how you imagine, imagine God, envision God, but there is no stoicism here. There's no calm acceptance of the way things are. There's no shrugging the shoulders as if sickness and suffering and death aren't big deals. No, Jesus is like, he's he's almost overcome with emotion at the circumstances. He's deeply moved and greatly troubled. Um, you remember, uh, the gospel gives us this like unprecedented idea that God... Becomes a human being. It's not that God, like, dresses up as a human being. No, but that God actually enters into his good creation and becomes a human being. Um, And not just a human, but a suffering human. The man of sorrows. You remember his name, Emmanuel. God with us. And, And so you see family, like, really with you. He is really with you. Uh, he doesn't float above the surface of your pain and hurt, but he, he enters into it and he sinks down to the depths of it, and he makes it his own. He joins us like fully, fully in the horrors of the human experience, and he feels the pains of it to the depths. He suffers with us, and so in our story, Jesus is joining the lament of Martha and Mary. He's joining, um, he's joining the groaning of all creation and hurting, that's hurting and in desperate need of healing, and he just, he makes that groan his groan, his own. This word deeply moved, I learned, um, I learned preparing for today that it also, it suggests um, an aspect of anger, even outrage. The old theologian B.B. Warfield puts it like this. He says, at the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus indistinguishable fury seizes upon Jesus it is death that is the object of his wrath and behind death our real enemy who has the power of death and whom Jesus has come into the world to destroy Um, I find that comforting (laughs) that as much as I hate suffering and death Jesus hates it way more And that as much as I want to be opposed to it, Jesus is is far more opposed to it and and far more effectively opposed to it than I am. Um, Like he is outraged when he sees his good world that he created in love that's now fallen into sin and ruin, like being destroyed by sin and suffering and sickness and death. That invites hope. Because God is so fully with us and for us in the depths of our woe. Like, he does not stand far off, but he comes and stands so close. He stands so close. You know, I think of that, that great hymn that Luther wrote, Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, Did we in our own strength confine, our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And then later he says, He, it's like, this one right here on our side. He must win the battle. I wonder, family, where you've lost hope because you've lost sight of Jesus really being with you and for you in the challenges you face. If it's just you versus suffering and death, it looks pretty hopeless. Um... But remember, Jesus is one who is with us even when we walk through the dark valley. Um, and and so, so look, like right here, the right man is, is at your side. Even though you walk through the valley, he's with you, and, and he, he has committed himself to defeating your greatest foes for you. So God fully shares our suffering. And then we also see in this passage that God will fully redeem our suffering. Like he's not just interested in empathizing real hard with us. He actually wants to deliver us and to redeem our suffering. So after Jesus weeps and bears the pain of his friends, he does something astonishing. Uh, He walks up to a tomb. He asks for someone to roll away the stone. He thanks his Father in heaven for always hearing him. And then he cries out this kind of battle cry. I like how Debbie did it. I'll whisper it. I mean, he just says, Lazarus, come out. So many crazy things about that, right? I mean, dead people don't hear, first of all. Um, Which is why most of the time we don't talk to dead people but Lazarus hears. And and Jesus speaks to a dead man, the dead dead man hears, and he obeys. (laughs) Like, all it takes is a word from Jesus, and death just, like, releases its grip and shrinks back into the shadows. Lazarus comes out, and then Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Um, And you see, family, like, Jesus really can set the captives free. He really does set the captives free. Death is no match for Jesus Christ. It's interesting what happens next in the passage that follows. John tells us that because of this miracle many began to trust in Jesus. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone, like everyone who saw this began would begin to trust in Jesus, but that's not what John tells us. If you read on in John 11, it says many, but then he says others for political reasons. They began from that day, from that day when Jesus called Lazarus back from the dead, they began to make plans to put Jesus to death. In other words, what John wants us to see is that by raising Lazarus, Jesus is sealing his faith. Like, there's no turning back now. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and in doing so, he ensures his own death, and still he does it. You know, it's not Holy Week yet, but we know how that will go. Death is no match for Jesus, not even when his hands are tied, not even when his hands are nailed to a cross, not even when Jesus lets death do its worst against him, I mean, death cannot hold him. And so, family, you see the invitation to hope. Um, What Jesus does for Lazarus is just a hint, pointing to Jesus' own resurrection. And what occurs in Jesus' own resurrection is a foretaste of what one day will be true for the whole creation, when death will be swallowed up in victory. And in the meantime, it's still Lent. And we keep living in a world that is marred by sin and has fallen into ruin, and it's just full of suffering and death. And so much of it is inexplicable and incomprehensible and, and seems and feels utterly senseless. And knowing that death will one day be defeated doesn't make our questions go away. And it doesn't make our anguish and our sorrow any less severe. Um, But in the midst of all of that, there's this one Jesus Christ who says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he invites us in the face of suffering and death face him. To fix our eyes on him. To go to him just as we are. To trust him. To hope in him. He sets a table before us in the presence of suffering and death, these ultimate enemies, and he says, come join me here. Uh, He invites us to face him. And so family, I want you to see that, that you can uh, bring your sorrow here and you can bring your, um, your questions, you can bring your anger, you can bring your fear and worry. Uh, you can really come as you are. You, and, and you can just trust Jesus with yourself. And I mean, really, all of yourself. Like maybe you aren't feeling very honest. Maybe you don't know what honesty looks like for you right now, and that's okay. Um, You're still invited to come and just to trust Jesus with that. And and maybe you're not feeling particularly faithful. Well, you can come and you can trust Jesus with that too. And, And maybe for you, hope feels a long way off. And and that's okay too, because our hope is not in our hope. Um, Here is one who can take even the dry bones of our hopelessness and breathe life into them. And so, whoever you are, and however you are, Jesus welcomes you. And he says, In the face of suffering and death, won't you come and
0: face me? Let's pray.